0: Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we now prepare to go to your word, Lord, we ask that you bless our time of study. Lord, speak to us. Teach us here today. Father, as we seek, and I pray this is our hearts here today, to know you more to grow in our knowledge of you, to grow in our walks with you. That, as always, Lord, we would leave here today having grown closer to you, having a greater understanding of your will, your plan, and your purpose for our lives, Father. That we wouldn't leave here the same, but I pray that we'd surrender even just a little bit more. That we would seek you with a little bit more fervor, Lord. That we would desire you just even a little bit more here today to know you, And so, Father, bless our service now, our children's ministry, every aspect of ministry here today. May it exalt the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May you be pleased, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. If you do not have a Bible and you need one, there are some available over in the info table. Share with the person next to you, wave your hand, say you need a Bible, we'll get one for you. Acts chapter 9, we will finish chapter 9 today, Lord willing three Sundays to get through this chapter. In the book of Acts, we learn of the foundations of the church, the pillars of the church, if you will, what we stand on, what we today as a Christian church can look to to say, how should we live? How should we conduct ourselves? What are the things that we should do? And rest assured, we get a lot of things wrong. Rest assured that when we get to heaven, we're going to learn a whole lot about what church was supposed to be like. But we endeavor, we strive to do things the way that the Word of God says, and we get that in the book of Acts. And we learn of a people who continued steadfastly. They were committed to pursuing the Word of God together, to remaining in fellowship together, in prayer, and the breaking of bread. We learn of a body of believers that did life together. They pursued one another. They pursued the Word of God. And they allowed that to define them in their lives and their walks with the Lord. And Acts, again, gives us our model for the church today. But we're also blessed in this book, as we have been over the last several Sundays, to learn of of many different people. How cool it is that the Word of God can give us specific accounts of specific individuals and, and how God worked in their lives, people, and their stories. Their stories of how they came to know Jesus, of the lives that they lived, and the lives that they surrendered to Jesus Christ, how they were transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, their testimony. Over and over again, we read of ordinary individuals who were used by God in a mighty way. Over the last two weeks, we learned of the radical conversion of one called Saul, Saul who was the chief persecutor of the church, Who presided over the death of many individuals who met God in a radical way on the road to Damascus? Blinded through this encounter, we see in Saul's conversion some distinctives that should be true of any individual who professes Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The first of which is that Saul sought to understand who God was as he cried out, Lord, who are you? That he sought to understand what it was that God desired of him. What would you have me to do, Lord, to understand his plan and his will and his purpose for his life? Saul then counts the cost of following Christ. He doesn't make a decision to follow Christ in a flippant, emotional way. He considers what it means to follow Jesus. As one of our youth stated today, that that oftentimes, yes, we consider what it is that we have to give up when we follow Jesus Christ. And that is true. For there are things of this world that we will need to let go of. But to consider those in comparison with following Christ and what's gained through that, those things should be easy to let go of. We see also that in Saul there is an immediate change in his life, that he begins to do things differently, and that he begins to serve him faithfully and tells all who he can of what God has done in his life. Immediately, he goes into the synagogues and begins to preach about Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done in his life. These principles should be true of any one who is a believer. And in our study today, we'll learn of a woman named Tabitha, or as it's translated, Dorcas. Now go ahead and get your little chuckles out right now when you hear me say that name. When she was named Dorcas, they didn't have the English language and the word dork. And, you know, so now we all look at that and we giggle and we say, oh, what an unfortunate name. Dorcas was a woman who embodied these principles. She was a godly woman. And we know this because of the testimony of others about her. Those who spoke of the life that she lived and the way in which she served other people. Singled out for her good works and charitable deeds, Dorcas was a woman who so let Her light shined before men, that a community saw her good works and they glorified our Father in heaven because of it. And so the question of whether the faith that we proclaim today is a true faith, we need to ask ourselves in light of Dorcas here, because this is the call to each of us, that are we living a true faith? Is there evidence in our lives that would tell others that we are sold out for Christ? Does our light so shine before others that they might glorify God in heaven, as they did of this particular woman? And so as we continue our study, we'll pick up in verse 32, and we have a brief account here, before we get to the account of Dorcas, about this man Aeneas, and we know little about this man. And we read in verses 32 through 35, Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he rose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And so now, in our study of Acts, the attention is brought back to the apostle Peter. For some time now, it was focused on Stephen, and then Philip, and then to Saul and now we're back to Peter once again. And in this first encounter, as Peter's making his way through Judea, we don't learn much of this man, Aeneas. But Peter felt led. He felt led to go through various areas of Judea, and he makes his way towards the coast, and he comes to this town of Lydda. And it's here that he finds this man, Aeneas. For eight years, this man had been paralyzed, bedridden. And this likely reminds you of the earlier account where Peter, who was led of the Spirit, heals the man who had been paralyzed for 40 years, who's sitting on the steps of the temple asking alms. And here, once again, Peter is obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he says to this man in faith, he says to him, arise. He says, Jesus has made you well. And so he obedient to the leading of spirit, he declares through a word of faith that this man is healed. And what we need to recognize here, just like before, is that Peter does not muster up some kind of magical command. He doesn't seek to take credit for any sort of healing. He only seeks to recognize what he believes God has told him and bring glory to Jesus Christ, declaring to this man, you've been made well. Jesus the Christ heals you. And this man wasted no time. He arose immediately, freed from the bonds he'd been in for eight years. He rises, and the word says that all who dwelt there turned to the Lord because they saw him, and they saw evidence of the power of Jesus Christ, and they turned then to saving faith in Jesus Christ because of what they had seen, because of what they had experienced. But yes, the the Holy Spirit also is drawing these individuals into repentance at this time, but here this man is raised for their benefit, for them to see the power of, It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you may not have been healed in such an amazing and miraculous way, and maybe you have experienced amazing healing in your own life or in lives of those who have been around you. This still happens today. But what we see here is that because of this man, because of what God did in his life, people were impacted. People were saved. People turned to, to Jesus Christ because of what they had heard and seen that God had done. And so, in similar fashion, by the word of our testimony, do many come to know Jesus. They come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And oftentimes, not just in word, as our testimony proclaims, but also in deed, in the works that we do, in the things that we do, in the way in which we live out our lives. Many are impacted. And so, as we continue, we learn of this particular woman Dorcas, who had such a testimony in her community because of how she lived her life. And in verse 36, we read, At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. And this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him. Imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. This woman, Tabitha, was a critical part of the church. We know here that because of the fact that there was an upper room in her home, we can speculate that she was a fairly wealthy woman, at least well enough off to have a larger home. And we read here that there were specific things that she did for others in her community. This was a woman who truly made a difference. And just like those who we've read of before in the book of Acts, we continue to see here ordinary people doing extraordinary things for Christ. And the widows who are standing there weeping, you know, sometimes we'll see where there are those in the Bible and they're weeping, and, and we believe that they're professional mourners. This was a common thing in the land at the time, where individuals would come together and maybe they didn't even really know the person, but they mourned over them. They wailed and they mourned for their loss. But we don't believe in this particular case that these were professional mourners. At least I don't. I think that these were real individuals who were touched by what Dorcas had done because they have evidence of it. They're able to speak to the way in which she lived her life and the things that she did for the community. They're recognizing that this is a big loss for them. They were deeply affected and impacted by this woman, her life and the things that she did. Her death was a great loss, and so Peter was summoned. Now, did they call him specifically because they thought, well, Peter's in town, or he's nearby, and he can raise Dorcas from the dead? We don't see evidence of that. Some may have thought that. Some may have hoped that and prayed for that. I imagine most, no different than the desire to have a pastor present during a time of difficulty or trouble, the loss of a loved one, they sought to have Peter there because there was great mourning, There was a loss of an important individual within the church, and and he could provide reconciliation to them, ministering to them, comforting them, encouraging them. But when Peter arrives, once again, so led of the Holy Spirit, he recognizes and sees and understands and hears from the Lord what it is that God would desire for him to do. But it's not the raising of a woman from the dead that to me is the focus of this particular passage, though we'll hear more of that here shortly and we'll see how it is that Peter goes about raising this woman from the dead and and no doubt that had an impact. Many were saved because of that. I think there's something else that we see here with this woman that for a Christian today, it's important to reflect on and to see and to understand. And as we seek to understand who this woman Dorcas is and, and why her death was significant, we read that she was a woman full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. There's an emphasis there on the fact that she did them. Oftentimes, we, maybe even in our own lives or other individuals, or there's somebody maybe that you can think of at work who says that they're always going to do something, but they don't do it. Who talks a good game about the Christian life, but they don't back it up in practice. Here, Luke, the inspired author of the book of Acts, gives us this little emphasis that she was a woman who was full of good works and charitable deeds, and she did them. She followed through. This is what this woman was known for. Not just the talk of good deeds. She is not someone who said she would go do things and then didn't do it. She backed it up. And it's not that she pretended to be something then that she was not. No, she was full of good works, and she did them. She followed through. This is what made her so special, so impactful. Through a needle and a thread, it seems that this woman made an impact in her community. As these mourners held up the garments and the tunics that she had made. You know, it's been often commented on in this particular passage that what we, how many times have any of you gone into your closet and said, boy, I just don't know what I'm going to wear today. I just can't figure it out. As you have this closet full of clothes those of you in the military, you think it was easy. (laughs) It's the benefit of a uniform. Makes it a little bit easier to pick out what you're going to wear each day. At this time, that didn't happen. In fact, the idea of having a lot of clothing, except if you were incredibly wealthy, was far off. That wasn't even on the horizon. And so for someone to make tunics and garments and things, this was a priceless possession for many. This was meeting a very important need that some would have. And it was, in fact, her works, it seems, that had such an impact. So what then, and this will be the course of our study here today as we make our way through to the end of this chapter, what then is the importance of works? We hear a lot about works within the faith, within the church, often overemphasized or underemphasized. But here we read of a woman who was full of good works, of charitable deeds, and she did that. And it had an impact on her community. When we start to talk about works, we consider and we think about the idea of faith. For many of us who are at least rooted or somewhat educated in sound doctrine, think of faith alone that saves. And so am I saying today that, well, that's no longer the case, that I've had an epiphany and I've figured something new out? No, not at all. But we must understand as we strive within Calvary Chapel especially to have balance, to understand what is it that God would desire of us in our walks with Him? And so naturally, as I considered this and prayed through this, the Lord brought me to James chapter 2, and we'll be here long enough that I'd ask you to turn there to James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, James 2, 14, and it reads, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? In short, yes, yes. It is faith that saves, rest assured but it must be a true faith. Some see James's stance here as contrary to that of Paul. Some have wrestled with what James has to say versus what Paul has alluded to or said directly in many of his letters. We read in Ephesians 2, 8-10, Paul says, By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship." Yet he goes on to say, created unto good works. And so this infamous statement that has been around since the early church, sola fide, or faith alone, it is nothing other than faith in the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross that saves. Understand that today. But what profit is it if such faith, if it doesn't manifest itself in action? Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 21, not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. You see, what did Saul ask of God on the road to Damascus? Lord, what would you have me to do? What did Peter say to Aeneas just previously after declaring that he had been made well? Pick up your bed and walk. And he immediately did it. What was said of the woman Dorcas here, but that she was full of good works, which she did. And so I ask, what profit is it to you if you say you have faith, but you do nothing with it? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? You see, we can see there plainly that when someone has a need and we do nothing to address that need, then what has our faith profited? What is it that we've accomplished? In what way have we extended the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ that we know? Oftentimes today, the the modern-day equivalent of this in some ways, though this same scenario plays itself out, but what happens a lot today as well is this idea of, I'll pray for you. Far too often today, we say, I'll pray for you. Sometimes, sadly, that's in exchange for is, I have neither the ability at this point in time or the desire to help you in any way, shape, or form. And so I'll say the super spiritual thing like, I'll pray for you. And I see many of you shaking your heads, right? You get it. You understand. Now, I am not saying stop praying for people. (laughs) And I'm not saying that you shouldn't tell anybody that you'll pray for them anymore. Yes, we need to pray that much more. We need to constantly be praying for one another. We need to tell people we're praying for you, that I will pray for you. We need to be willing to say, let's pray right now. But we also need to be willing to accept the challenge at the same time as the Spirit so leads to say, you know what, and there is something that I can do for you. There is a way in which I can help. And while it may require a sacrifice on your part, there needs to be a willingness to do it. That's what we're called to do as the church. As we consider once again, all the way back to Acts 2.42, as I mentioned at the beginning, that the church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, but in fellowship with one another. They were together. They were working together. They were doing life together. Can I meet an actual need that you have and thereby live out my faith in action, conveying to you that what I really believe, I believe it, and I practice what I preach, that we would embody the principles of our faith? Now, don't misunderstand. Everything has to be taken with understanding, right? That You know, there are going to be times when the need that is there, you just simply can't meet, but in that, we should communicate that. That's what we should pray through. That's what we should pray with an individual. I have no idea how to help you in this moment. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle the situation, whatever the case may be, but you're with them. You walk with them. You pray. You check in. You try to help as much as you can. Verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Rest assured, once again, works do not save us. However, it is the works that prove out our faith. Many people today, they declare their faith. They say, yes, I was raised in church. I said the sinner's prayer. I went forward at an altar call. I believe in God. Verse 19, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Translated here, you believe in God? Well, whoop-de-doo. Even the demons believe. That's the reality of it. That's what we have to understand today. That if you today say, well, I believe in God. Well, I'm here to tell you that that has no bearing on your eternal salvation. I need to know that you believe in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ. That you recognize His work upon the cross for you. And that it's only through Him, His body broken, His blood shed, that you have forgiveness of sin today. That's the differentiator. We get all excited today when someone says they believe in God as if some great revival has happened. We get excited about a politician who says, yes, I believe in God. And we think, oh, hallelujah, all our problems are going to go away. There's a top 20 artist out there who's got a song, and they say, I believe in God. And bam, it's on Christian radio right away. But we do, right? There's a song, and it's like, oh, somebody is a pastor in their family. We can play this on Christian radio. We'll get right behind it. Right? We don't differentiate between, are they a believer? Is there evidence in their lives? Do they bear fruit? Someone prays a prayer in church. And we want to celebrate it, and and we should. We rightly should. It would be right for us to celebrate anyone turning to the Lord, but it must be true that they have in fact genuinely turned to the Lord. And how exactly do we know that? Well, oftentimes we should see it manifested in their lives. Yes, through works and various fruit, through their actions To say you believe in God, once again, means nothing for your eternal salvation without a true true surrender to Jesus Christ. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. The works completed his faith. They proved out that what he believed, he believed, and he was willing to take action on that faith. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So then do you mean to tell me that if there are not works in my life, then I am not saved? Perhaps, yes. God knows the heart. We see that consistently throughout the Word of God. I don't know your heart. The Lord can give me discernment. I can see things. I can question. I can pray. But only God knows the heart of man. And it could be that God is growing your faith. As we come to the Lord, we are brought to and through certain trials, tribulations, challenges that cause us to grow in our walks with Him, that grows our faith, that strengthens our faith, Different circumstances that we face that beforehand we wouldn't have stepped out in faith. We wouldn't have been able to do it. Someone could have said, Hey, they say they're a Christian, but they seem like they're really anxious about this scenario. And I thought that they were supposed to have peace and they're not demonstrating peace. That can happen. It's happened in my own life. So, yes, God uses those times to strengthen us, to grow our faith. That when we face that trial the next time, we can go through it better. That we can comfort others and say, Hey, this is going to be okay. Trust relax. That we can truly experience that peace which surpasses all understanding. That when it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world that we're at peace and we can rest and we can wait on the Lord. And so yes, God does that work. This does take time. But I would say that if you claim to be walking with the Lord, that you say you believe, but consistently your actions do not match that, then yes, that would be cause for question. A continued unwillingness to live out your faith to serve others, to have a heart for those who are hurting, to give of your time and your energy and your resources, whatever the case may be. If on trial for your faith, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If not, then you should evaluate whether you are truly surrendered to Jesus Christ, or if you're just saying what seems right, what you expect others want to hear. In this same vein, I will reinforce once again that all the good works in the world Absent of saving faith in Jesus Christ, they don't save you. You can say all the prayers you want. You can serve all the people you can. You can commit yourself to every religious ritual under the sun, but if you do not surrender your life and accept the forgiveness that's only found in Jesus Christ, to recognize that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, then those works are useless. Our works, our good deeds, our actions, they must correspond with a true faith. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And this was the case for this sister Dorcas. Full of good works and charitable deeds, her faith gave way to action. And through a modest effort with needle and thread, she made the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ come alive to her community. You see, it doesn't take much either, Christian to testify to what Jesus has done through sharing your story, being willing to serve others. You can see others come to know Jesus. As we return to chapter 9 and verse 40, but Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now this had to be crazy, okay? Because here she'd been prepared. We read earlier, she'd been prepared for burial. There was a process that they went through. She wasn't just sitting there, you know, in her day clothes. She was covered. She'd been anointed. She'd been washed. I mean, this would have been a very surreal experience. No doubt partially why Peter said, I'm going to have you guys leave. I'm going to have you step out now. You know, when we read of Jesus raising the daughter of Jairus, this very similar thing happens here and. And many believe that in that particular case, Jesus puts them out because there were a lot of professional mourners that were there just making a whole lot of noise. A lot of hoopla, a lot of things that didn't need to be done, and okay, you need to get out. If I'm Peter here, I'm thinking, I know what God's telling me to do right now, and I'm terrified of it. And what if I'm wrong? What if I don't get this right? What if I stand here in front of all these people and say, Tabitha, arise, and nothing happens, and everybody's like, you okay, Peter? (laughs) You all right there, buddy? I mean, I would want to say, everybody go. Everybody go. I don't know what's about to go down. And so everybody leaves the room here, and Peter says to her, Tabitha, arise, acting on faith, no doubt thinking in his mind, God, are you serious? Are you serious right now? I mean, is this going to happen? or Is this what you're asking me to do? Because when he said it, he needed to say it. He needed to know it. He needed to mean it. He needed to say in obedience, yes, Tabitha, arise. She opens her eyes she sits up. Now, we don't hear from Dorcas here. We get the sense that everything was great from this point forward. We know that many will be saved here, but if you're Dorcas, what are you thinking about? Seriously? You brought me back? Now, it's important to note here that this was not a resurrected Dorcas. She was resuscitated to her former life. She was not glorified here, and she would die again. At some point, she would die again. And so this is different than the resurrection at the end of time, different than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a woman who was brought back, and it wasn't for her benefit. Rest assured, she would much rather have stayed right where she was at. But God so moved for the benefit of those who were there who were mourning, who so needed her within the church. And God obviously knew and recognized the impact that this would make for the kingdom. And so he then, in verse 41, he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a Tanner. Many believed on the Lord. This had an impact. So not only had Dorcas already, through her life, through the things that she had done, through her faith in Jesus Christ and the way that she lived that out, had an impact on so many in her community. But here God used her once again to bring more to him. Many believed on the Lord. Many were saved. Why? Because they witnessed a miracle, a mighty move of the Spirit, but it's still the Spirit that draws one to repentance. Remember that. The Spirit was still working. This wasn't just for the Word of God to say that many were saved means that this wasn't just an emotional high that people flippantly said, Yeah, all right, Jesus is awesome, and then went about their lives. I mean, there was transformation here. And we may not experience much like the raising of the dead. But God still works. The Spirit is still drawing. He desires still to do work through us as we share of what He has done, as we seek to faithfully serve Him and and His church. Just like last week, I'd ask you this, what is the story that you have to tell of what God has done in your life? In what way are you giving life to your faith by obediently serving God? There are three key things that we see within the life of Dorcas here that we can apply to our own as we begin to close. The first of which here is that Dorcas was full of good works. It means that she pursued them. It wasn't the occasional, oh, it's Thanksgiving, and so we're all going to go serve at the soup kitchen today. It wasn't, hey, it's time for the annual mission trip, and so now I'm going to get into gear. Now I'm going to go and, and be uncomfortable. No, she pursued them. She was willing at all times. It was a regular life of pursuing what she could do for others in light of what Jesus had done for her. Secondly, these weren't heavy works. She wasn't risking her life on a daily basis. I know of a guy who every summer, he's an ex-special forces guy. I don't know what he does, and I'm probably not allowed to know. What I do know is that he does these crazy mission trips down into South America and literally goes and rescues children. It must be some kind of mercenary thing. It might be illegal. I don't know but I know he has a heart for the Lord and I know he goes away for two weeks and he says, you might not see me again. I'm not asking you guys to go do that. Okay. The Lord may call you to do that. You may be equipped to go do that. She served in the way that she was able and she did it often. It's been said of Dorcas that with a needle and thread, she knit a community for Christ. What can you do for him? And finally, number three, she served while she was with them. Galatians 6, 9, says, and let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity, let us do it. What opportunities might have passed you by? What open doors has the Lord given you where maybe because you convinced yourself that it wasn't the right time or you were too busy? You were ill equipped, or whatever the case may be, you didn't take advantage of it. Serve as the Lord gives opportunity, because before we know it, the opportunity is gone. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I want you to consider. The first of which is of eternal importance, and that is do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if you do, is there fruit in your life? Are you serving such that your faith can be seen in action? Your good works can be seen by men, not so that you can be glorified, but so that your Father in heaven can be glorified. It's Jesus himself who said that. If the answer to either of those questions is no today, then you need to seek the Lord regarding that. And I'd ask you now as we prepare to worship to bow your heads with me with eyes closed and pray. And I'd ask this first and very most important question, that if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ then I'd ask that today in faith you pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I recognize that I have been following after the things of this world and not the things of you. And Lord, I surrender my heart to you here today and I invite you and I desire that Jesus Christ would reign in my life, that he would live in my heart and that through his sacrifice upon the cross that I'd receive forgiveness. Make me new and help me to walk after you all the days of my life. May this be a real faith to me, a real decision. Help me in my heart of hearts to truly understand my need for a Savior and transform my heart and mind, I pray in Jesus' name. With your eyes closed and your head still bowed, I'd, I'd ask you again regarding the fruit in your life. It is not my desire, nor it is the desire of of our Father in Heaven that you would leave here today feeling condemned. For in Christ, there is no condemnation. Now, there is conviction. And so if that's you today and you feel like, you know what, I'm not living out my faith, then take that to the Lord. Take that to the Lord in this last song. As the music challenges us, as you sing the words, make them become your words. And commit yourself to being radical for him, to living for him. That those around you that may not know you and may not know your beliefs and your faith, that they'd know, hey, this person's different. For we're called to serve. It's not works that save, it's Jesus that saves. But through that, there should be fruit in our lives. And so seek the Lord regarding that. And Father, I pray for anyone here today those that potentially have surrendered their life to you, whether a recommitment, whether for the first time, Lord, work in their hearts. Give them the boldness and the courage to come and, and to see me or another leader afterwards, to share of that, to, to tell us of the decision that they've made, that we could walk alongside them and disciple them and encourage them and, and help to, through the Spirit, strengthen them in their faith. But for those here today, myself included, Lord, that we, we need to live out our faith more actively to be a light for you, to be an example for you in our community. Lord, do that work, I pray. May we truly surrender. May we be a body of believers so surrendered that we'd make you famous in this community, that there would be no doubt that there are Christians living in this community that are sold out on fire for you serving one another, praying for one another, helping one another. Father, we need it desperately now. No doubt there is someone here right now who all of this week is living in fear and they're living in anxiety. From the predictions of the solar eclipse and the, and the way in which that fits into end times prophecy to the threat of war, to the, the evidence of hatred in our communities erupting, Lord. There are those who are here today that are in fear and the reality is we need not fear. Just as the Apostle Paul will say, as we'll read in Acts chapter 20 as we get there, this is that all of these different things that came upon him, but none of these things moved him. Father, may we be a body of believers that are not moved by the threats in this world, the challenges in this world, the difficulties, the trials, the tribulations. May we recognize that just as as Timothy said in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that in these days trials will come, that that we live in perilous times. All that's going on around us is a reminder that you're coming, Lord, and that we have a glorious hope in the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we be comforted in that as we seek to live out our faith, Lord, I pray. Do that work here, Lord, in us and through us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.